I want to tell you a story as we get started because I want to kind of set the stage if I could. Years ago, when uh, Sue and I had uh, been pastoring, we, this was our second pastorate. We were pastoring for a short period of time in the Central Valley. And uh, we took a, a church that was in trouble. And um, while we were there, uh, we discovered that in a drawer uh, at the church office, uh, somebody had been just throwing unopened letters from the IRS telling, notifying the church that uh, uh, they, their legal action was going to be taken against that church because they weren't paying their, um, their employee taxes and, and such. We discovered also a bunch of other areas of uh, negligence on the part of the church with regard to their finances, and there were other creditors that were owed, and it was a bad, it was a bad situation. The church was in trouble in a lot of different ways. That was just one part of it, and that was part of the reason why we were there to kind of straighten things out. One of the things that we did was the church did have, not didn't have much money in its regular accounts, but it did have a, a small amount of money in a fund a, uh, that was being set aside for eventual uh, purchase of a property for the church, a, a building. And uh, so I went to our church council, uh, two or three other folks that were helping to kind of right the ship, so to speak, and I I suggested to them that we go to the whole congregation and take a vote on whether we should take some of that money that was in the building fund and use it to get square with the government and these other creditors. And uh, so we did that, and there was a unanimous vote of the congregation. It was a fairly, there was not very many people left in that church at that point, but there was a unanimous agreement that that's what we should do, and so we did that. Now, I have always been, my, uh, Sue and I have been pastors, local church pastors, for over 30 years. And for all of that time, I have made it a top priority of my life to be above board a man of integrity with regard to the management of the resources of any church I have ever had anything to do with. I wanted to make sure that me and every, that I and every other person that would be a part of any leadership team I was, I was involved in in the church carefully stewarded every penny. And so that's been a big, big thing for me because we all know that uh, sometimes that's not the case. Um, so fast forward now, we've moved on from that church. We were there for a couple of years to sort of get things back together, which, which uh, the Lord helped us to do. And then we moved, returned to the Bay Area to start a new church in San Jose. With me so far? So I need, in the meantime, between the time we had resigned from that church I first described to the point where we're about ready to start a new church in San Jose, there'd been a change in uh, my leadership as a pastor. As a four-square pastor, I um, am under uh, a couple of layers of leadership, as you might expect, a divisional superintendent. I happen to be one of those now, but as a local church pastor, there was a guy looking out for me um, who was my divisional superintendent, and then above him, a guy who, uh, whose title was district supervisor, and he uh, was, and still, that role is still over about 200 churches in Northern California, uh, Northern Nevada, and Utah. And there had been a change in that position, so I did not know him. 
And I needed to get to know him because we're about ready to start a new church. And we needed to do that in coordination with the district office. So I called and I uh, spoke to his assistant and I said, I'd like to make an appointment to speak with the new district supervisor, Robbie Booth. And I want to talk about this new church that we're about to plant. And they said, sure, fine. We set a date. A couple days later, I got a call back from that, uh, that assistant um, saying, Randy, Robbie wants you to know so that it's not a surprise or so that it doesn't seem as though it's an ambush. When you get here, besides talking about this new church that you're going to plant, he also wants to talk to you about the misuse of church funds in the church that you just resigned from. Now, when I told you at the start of this story about how I've made, always made a priority of managing with integrity the church's resources, to hear those words on the phone was as though someone took a baseball bat to my head, literally knocked the wind out of me. I staggered across the room with the phone in my hand. I didn't know what to say. And I, I mumbled something. I got off the line. And then as I was just trying to sort that out, I started to you remember little bits and pieces of this conversation that was going one way while I was staggering across the room and I pieced together what was going on. And apparently that act of, of uh, asking for permission from the congregation to use money that had been set aside for the building fund for the resolving of these other obligations was against uh, Foursquare's bylaws. I say apparently, because I, I didn't know that at the time. It had been quite a while since I read the bylaws. <laughs> and I was going on, I made an assumption based on something the previous district supervisor had said to me that I shouldn't have. I should have known better. And I didn't. Because in Foursquare, when someone, and by the way, in case you wouldn't know, Foursquare is our family of churches and ministries around the world that we're a part of. Within Foursquare, when you give money to a particular fund or cause, it has to stay there. And uh, I mean, that's changed a little bit since. But at the time, it was sacrosanct. You couldn't, couldn't touch it. I didn't know that. So once I figured out what was going on, got my feet under me, I started rifling through all my files and getting uh, minutes of the council meetings where all of that was talked about and, and to prove the fact that we had not only church council approval, but a unanimous vote of the congregation to do this. And I was building this case for justifying myself before the district supervisor. And just when I thought I had to airtight everything in order, every duck in a row, the Lord spoke to me, and in case you don't know me well, please know that I, I'm not wandering around hearing voices all the time. When I say that, I mean just over a lot of years of being in, in relationship with God, I've learned to discern when he's impressing me about something. And it was as though the Lord said this to me. He said, what are you doing? Now, the Lord can ask a question, and it speaks volumes. <laughs> and I knew what he was saying. He was saying, Randy, why are you preparing to uh, justify yourself? You are guilty. You were wrong. I want you to stop this, own up to your stuff, and take it like a man. 
And uh, I knew he was right. Wasn't happy about it, but I knew he was right. I kept that appointment. I went to see Robbie. Well, we've never met. This is my first time to see him. I walk into his office. I shook his hand. The first thing out of my mouth was, Robbie, I was wrong. Plain and simple. I was wrong. I should have known better. I didn't. And I'm not here today to excuse myself. I can offer you an explanation if you'd like, but I, I am uh, guilty as charged. And he said to me in the next breath, he said, Randy, this, that's, this is the end of this. This is the last time you will ever hear anything about it. This issue is resolved. When you see me in the future, you will never need to think, oh, I bet he remembers what I did. I won't. As of this moment, this never happened. And that was many years ago. I, I told you earlier in the service, guys, I want you to meet Robbie for yourself at the men's retreat. Because the nature of our relationship since those, that day has been true to his word. And I have never, that to me was such a picture of forgiveness. One that most of us never experience. Because most of the forms of forgiveness that you and I experience is something less than that, isn't it? As true uh, uh, as his word was to me that day, I know. And as remarkable as that was, because you see, he could have altered the direction of my life in that moment and uh, in a bad way. As much as that was true and the relief and the blessing that flowed as a result of my first obeying God and then him offering that forgiveness to me, it pales in comparison to the forgiveness that God has for you. Let's talk about that today. Psalm 130, verse 1. The psalmist says, out of the depths, I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. I don't think there's anyone in the room that would disagree that we want to be in right relationship with God. We long for that. There is in the heart of every human being a a response to the homing beacon of our God's love. We want to be in relationship with the God who made us. And so when the psalmist says, I cried out to you out of the depths of my soul, and I, I approached you with my supplications, that means my pleadings, my desires, my longings after you. It's familiar to us. We know what that's like. We want to be, we desire to be in right relationship with God. Verse three, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, iniquities means sins or evil, if you should mark them, if you should count them, if you should keep score, oh, Lord, who could stand? As much as we long to be in right relationship with God, we know we're not because we know ourselves. And we know that if God in heaven was ticking off the scores, 
Every time we messed up, every time we violated his will, because by the way, sin is simply that. It's not, it's not um, uh, uh, you know, doing or not doing the, the code of ethics of God. It's not, you know, did you do this or not do that? It's about missing the mark of God's holiness. And whether you do that by an inch or a mile, you've missed that mark. Sin simply means that. That's what the word means, to miss the mark. We, the Bible says, have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we're all in this boat and we're all aware of it. One of the things I figured out a long time ago is that a preacher, I don't need, as a preacher, I don't need to convince people of their sin. <laughs> we pretty much get it. But this goes on, verse four. But there is forgiveness with you. Now that'd be a good place for an amen or a praise of the Lord or something. But there is forgiveness with you. Amen. Maybe with a little more feeling. Amen. <laughs> and it goes on to say, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. And that word fear is not the fear of dread or terror. It's the fear of amazement and wonder and awe. We are awestricken, God. Your forgiveness is awesome. Amazing, overwhelming, indescribable, incomprehensible. There is nothing in this world that mirrors or reflects in any way close the forgiveness of God. And when we encounter that forgiveness, we are overcome. Now turn with me to 1 John. I'm going to have you look with me at two additional verses of Scripture. So get ready. You're going to need to flip around. 1 John is way back in the New Testament. Don't get confused. There's John. There's 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. There's a lot of Johns in here. And there are little tiny books in the back that you're going to, if you flip trying to find them, you'll miss them. So use the table of contents. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says there, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This amazing forgiveness, this awesome forgiveness of God is described here uh, in ways that are so profound. I want to take just a few minutes for us to soak in the truth of what God's forgiveness is like, first of all, it begins with confession, if you confess your sins. Now, I want to make something clear, because a lot of people have the idea that confession is about, it's just a running process, you know, always trying to keep one step ahead of my sin by asking God's forgiveness. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be you shouldn't be confessing on an ongoing basis, but your forgiveness with God is not based on making sure that you are up to, up to date on your confessing. It's not about that. Confession as described here in relationship to the forgiveness of God is about getting on the same page with God about what's true about you and me, that we need a Savior. It was like that day when I 
had to own up before God and then to my district supervisor, I am guilty as charged. It's amazing how, how much we struggle to reach that point. We want to justify ourselves. We want to go rifling through our files and find the backup that will support the fact that I'm not as bad as Mark. <laughs> right? But the forgiveness of God that you and I need and long for cannot apply to us. It cannot cover us. It cannot affect us until that day that we own up to the fact, I have missed the mark, God. Yeah. I have missed the mark. So it begins there. But then it says that when we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins. Well, what does that mean? It means dependable. God's forgiveness can be counted on. Lamentations 3, to 23 says this, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Let's just get this, let's just be real right now. Were it not for the mercies of God, you'd be a dark spot on the carpet right now. <laughs> get me? Lamentations, a little bitty book in the Old Testament says, through the, the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Were you able to somehow, to somehow exhaust the mercies of God, it'd start fresh the next day. It's impossible. You will never be, you will never cause, you will never create the straw that breaks the back of God's forgiveness. But even if that were possible, God's mercies are new every morning. They're faithful. It can be counted on. And that is so different than the type of forgiveness most of us have received from others. Most of the, the forgiveness we receive from other people is, I forgive you as long as, or I forgive you but, right? Not God. Not God. He is faithful. His forgiveness is faithful. It also says there that his forgiveness is just. What does that mean? Well, it means genuine. It's genuine. Now, God can be both just and merciful and loving at the same time. This is so contrary to anything we know as human beings because we are either one or the other. We are the demanding justice or we're offering love and mercy. God is both at the same time. Why is it that God can just say, when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, why is it that God can have just said, well, okay, never mind. Why couldn't he do that? Because he's just. His loving heart would have, would have, you would have expected that he could say something like, well, never mind, I love you too much. But his justice makes that impossible. The justice has to be served. The wages, what we earn for sin, the Bible says, is death. That payment had to be made. But he paid it. He paid it. He went to the cross for me and for you. He 
paid the penalty for our sins so that he could be just when he offers forgiveness to us. It's not cheap in any way. It is complete and full and rich, genuine. Isaiah 53 says, 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, God laid on him, the Son of God, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He went to the cross having put on my sin and yours. Jesus clothed himself in my sin and yours on the cross. And in Matthew 27, this is about the ninth hour. While Jesus is hanging on the cross, ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. It says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Now, we've all heard that, I'm sure. We, we've been exposed to um, dramatic presentations of the cross of Christ, his passion, crucifixion. So we've heard that before. That's not news to you. But what may not have struck you is how profound a moment that was for all eternity. And by the way, that's something none of us can relate to. Just try to get your mind around eternity. No beginning, no end. Time doesn't matter. I mean, that'll just, that'll short-circuit your brain. But for all of eternity, the Trinity have, has been one in essence. One person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. On the cross, as Jesus clothed himself in my sin, a holy God underwent a, a rending of the fabric of the Trinity that cannot be described. No commentator I've ever read has been able to do it justice. When Jesus, the Son of God, said, why have you forsaken me? He's describing something so profound, far more devastating than the, the nails in his hand, the thorn in his uh, in his brow, the, the whipping, that far more than the suffering at a physical level. That is so indescribable. And he did that. He endured that for me. That I could be forgiven. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, For he, God, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now that is a mouthful. So it says that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's forgiveness is absolute. This is another thing we just have a really hard time with. We are so used to conditional forgiveness. I'm forgiven until I do it again. Right? Not with God. 
The cross of Christ is so amazing, so powerful, it took sin out of the way. It's gone. And I know that brings up all, you mean I could go out and do anything I want? Of course you can't. You couldn't in the face of that amazing forgiveness. How could you? But that doesn't change the fact that the Bible says, though your sins are like scarlet, and that's the darkest color that could have been represented in, in those days. Though your sins be as scarlet, Isaiah 1 says, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And get this, Psalm 103 verse 2 says, as far as the east is from the west. You tell me how far that is. When you head east, when does it stop being east? When you go west, when does it stop being west? The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. When I stand before God, my sin isn't even in the same galaxy. Jeremiah 31, 34 says this. God speaking, he says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Now this is a God who by definition, by definition, by his own definition, knows all things. The Bible says that he's omniscient. That means he knows everything. Everything that can be known. This God who knows everything that can be known has decided not to remember my sin. It was like Robbie on that day said to me, Randy, I will not remember this. This conversation is the end of this story. It will never appear between us again. At a, at a level far beyond that, our God is offering this amazing forgiveness to us. I don't know of a way to illustrate, a way that illustrates the forgiveness of God more than when we receive communion. These simple elements, the cup and the bread, and we're about to do that now. But I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians there's a 1st and a 2nd Corinthians. You want 1st Corinthians chapter 11. I'd love it if you'd turn there because it will be a place you might want to mark in your Bible. 1st Corinthians chapter 11. Paul the Apostle, um, a leading light in the New Testament, wrote many of the books in the New Testament. A guy who knows a thing or two about forgiveness. A murderer who received the forgiveness of God and became an apostle. He was describing what he had been told that Jesus said on the night of his betrayal with his disciples because Paul wasn't one of the 12. He wasn't there on that occasion. So he says to the people in the city of Corinth, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. 
This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. He said some simple things here that are deeply moving. I want to just uh, talk about them for a minute. Then Then we're going to receive the bread and the cup. The first thing I want you to notice is that he told them, he said, look, guys, as I give you this piece of broken bread, I want you to take note of the fact that it represents to you what's going to happen to me when they break my body. And I want you to know what it's about. It's not so that when you get together from, you know, from time to time and rehearse these things that you will uh, regret the pain and suffering that I endure. It's not about that. This is for you. It's for the healing that I intend to bring to the broken pieces of your life because they break my body. I don't know about you, but I got a, I got a lot of shrapnel and stuff in my life as I've been shredded through my own sin and just wandering through this sin-scarred world. Perhaps you do too. And boy, it's good to know. His body was broken for me so that all of those pieces can be put together as he intended for them to be. And then he took the cup and he said to them, guys, he said, when you drink this cup, as often as you do it, and he didn't tell us how often, we happen to uh, receive communion on the first Sunday of each month. That just happens to be today. It's not because this is Easter that we're going to do this. It's just how we do it. But he said, however frequent you do this, whenever you do it, I want you to remember that this cup represents a new covenant, a new agreement. You see, the old covenant was this. As long as you kept the Ten Commandments and the law, you're good. Problem is, none of us could do that. None of us could do that. And so every person always lived with the sense of not measuring up to the standards of God, not being righteous. Guilt and shame was our partner. But Jesus said, hereafter, because my blood is going to be shed for yours, when you remember that, remember that there's a new agreement in place purchased with that blood that says, I kept the law, I kept the Ten Commandments for you. So that you could stand before God clean, forgiven. And then it goes on to say, Paul says this uh, as he closes out that section. We read it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. This isn't just about healing for our brokenness, as wonderful as that is, or the fact there's a new covenant that that covers my life, but it's pointing to the fact that our risen Savior is coming again to receive us unto himself born again cleansed restored forgiven
This is recording number 11155 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Easter Sunday morning, April 5, 2015. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Forgiveness. God's Easter Gift to Us. 